This week on Medical Minefield, Chair of Mood Disorders at King's College London, Professor Alan Young. A diversity of views and the ability and freedom to ask tough questions is absolutely key to science. But another important facet of science is that you base things on data, not just your particular opinion. And I think when you're looking at a complex area like depression, you should be looking at evidence in the round and not emphasizing one particular bit. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, why is the BBC so obsessed with telling us that antidepressants are going to destroy our lives? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a suggestion for us or a question, tweet us at MedMinefield. Eve, that's a rather controversial statement to make. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> so um, the background to this is that you were approached a few weeks back to appear mm-hmm. in a documentary about antidepressants that the BBC was planning. It came out last Wednesday, an episode of Disclosure. Yeah, which I believe is is broadcasted just online and I think it was on BBC One Scotland. But it was interesting that I was approached because it was quite soon after another anti big antidepressant documentary by Panorama. Well, they saw it got the clicks, eh? Yeah. That Panorama was massive, wasn't it? It was huge. So, yes, this was a disclosure documentary. The presenter and reporter behind it got in contact with me, Anton Ferry, who's a very nice chap. What, why you? Why just me? To, just to explain oh, well, to people that might not realise. Must I? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wrote a piece back in towards the end of last year about my experience on antidepressants. I remember it well. I've written a couple of pieces, actually, about my experience of antidepressants, but the one that sort of um, interested them the most was the one where I discussed taking antidepressants as a teenager. Oh, it was one of my favourite pieces that you've written. It had this, you found this amazing picture of you. And in the picture, what what was so striking was that you looked like such a baby Mm. in that picture. You were aged about 14 or 15, around the time that you were prescribed antidepressants for the first time. And I just wanted to give you a big hug. Well, it was school photo day, so I made a particular effort. And so the BBC reporter had read your piece last year about how you took as a kid and got in touch. And and what was the initial conversation like? It was a really refreshing conversation because he told me that he was looking to do something that was balanced. And he listened to what I said about how, you know, I, I, I don't regret taking antidepressants as a teenager. In fact, I think that more teenagers should be prescribed antidepressants. And I also, you know, went to great lengths to explain that I think that um, it's a great travesty that we see mental health medication in a completely different way to how we see physical health medication. And the the kind of threshold for taking them is is much higher. Well, yeah, I mean, they say it's a sticking plaster, Eve. (sighs) What's wrong with a sticking plaster? That is exactly what I say. Yeah. Sometimes you need to put a sticking plaster on it. You got to yeah, you don't always have to let they it They work breathe. really well. So you you approached this with an open heart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, yeah. as I do many things. Mm. And also was kind of hopeful that after that 
antidepressant panorama, which was extremely scathing about antidepressants and really set up this sort of we've all been lied to, we've all been misled kind of rhetoric about the Mm, drugs. mm. I thought, great, there's going to be something that's going to be different. It's going to be positive. And then last week, I received a call from the presenter and reporter who told me that, um, unfortunately, I wasn't going to be used. Oh, Eve hit the cutting room I've been cut. I know. You've been cut. There was obviously technical difficulties towards the end of the interview. But anyway, I, I thought, fine, there's obviously been a technical glitch, whatever. And then I watched the documentary and thought, hmm, I wonder if the reason why I wasn't included was because I wasn't anti-antidepressants enough. Mm. And so the documentary that aired, you would say that it fell heavily on the, the critical side, that it was it was another documentary exploring the harms of antidepressants. Pretty much, yeah. It was mainly focused on case studies, so patients who had been taking antidepressants. And there was one guy who spoke about the fact that he'd had sexual problems, but he said that he felt that the benefits to his mental health of of being on the antidepressants massively outweighed the risk of not getting lucky occasionally. And that was the only kind of, I guess, semi-positive story that they had, really. Otherwise, it was focusing on the withdrawal symptoms and the side effects. I felt as though each of the patients that were used told a particular story that spoke to one particular problem or complication with antidepressants. Mm. And I guess mine didn't really speak to any of that. It, it, I think, told quite a general story about what the majority of people will probably experience by going on these drugs, which is pretty mundane. And instead, they did feature a a story that was very upsetting about a teenager prescribed antidepressants who sadly took his own life. Yes, they did, an 18-year-old. So they spoke to the mother of this young boy. Awful, awful. Terrible, who took his own life a couple of months after he started taking the SSRI sertraline. He'd previously been on fluoxetine, which is the same antidepressant I'm on. The GP then switched him over and, and a couple of months into the new drug he um, sadly took his own life. The focus of that section seemed to be on the young man's age because he was prescribed antidepressants as a teenager. Mm. So I assume that that's where I would have fit in because I was prescribed them as a teenager. Okay, so the counter argument would be, you know, this unusual case may not have had so much attention. It's important that we point these unusual cases out so we can learn from them, you know, and perhaps see if they are more common than people think because, you know, when a drug is trialled, they might not pick up these these much more rare mm. side effects. They only follow people for, you know, a, a small number of people relatively mm. for, for a short amount of time. And if they don't pick up these side effects, that, that then when it's seen in the community in, in regular prescribing, that's that's the point where we have to take notes. So, so that would be the argument. And also, I guess that with suicide, it's such a horrific trauma that kind of ripples through not just the family, but the friends and the friends of the friends. And, and you know, we have to see each suicide as something that is worthy of a lot of attention in kind mm. of rooting out why that happened. But it sounds like what you're saying is that perhaps they could have included your story to to give some balance. Really. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. A, a bit of balance. Because what you come it's away... it's scary. It, it's yeah. scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. And you come away from that thinking, oh my gosh, you know, there's all these things that could go wrong. Mm. 
and there isn't anyone saying well actually you know for me these things didn't go wrong or they did but it was very mild and I was able to get over it and actually the benefits were huge and there's already such a stigma and a problem with getting people with mental health problems to come forward for help and to realize that there is help available and there is treatment that can you know at least even temporarily just make those horrible feelings slightly dull. Sticking plaster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I just worry that it puts people off. Interestingly, I remember that you mentioned uh, after watching the Panorama documentary a few months back that you actually started thinking, should you reduce your dose? Yeah, I because I was feeling slightly anxious, but not sort of anything extreme, I guess, just normal day to day you know everyone feels a bit anxious occasionally and I had convinced myself maybe this was because of my medication and perhaps I should reduce my dose. So even with everything that you know and you you read these scientific studies and you've written about this and you know you know all about it but you watched that and doubted whether you should be on the medication that was controlling your symptoms. Yeah absolutely and I still have thoughts about oh I should probably come off them at some point. When actually, you know, I know there's really good evidence to show that there's not a huge amount of risks associated with staying on them for for a relatively long time. And so actually, why would I be considering that if they're working? Someone in the newsroom said to me when I was discussing your piece this week, why are you talking about this? It's just a couple of documentaries. Surely the harm can't be that much. But in fact, we know that's not the case. Interestingly, it's a subject I'm super interested in. I've written about a fair bit, statins. There was a a phenomenon that was tracked many times. Uh, Statins are a controversial drug as well, that there's been a lot of negative attention in the media, documentaries made, etc., about the downsides, about the negatives outweighing the benefits of statins. And interestingly, um, researchers have uh, tracked the effect And in Australia, there was a single documentary, or it was actually two episodes of the Australian science programme Catalyst that aired in, I think it was 2013. And there was a huge outcry about it being unbalanced Mm. um, and overstating the harms and underplaying the benefits of statins. There was complaints made to the broadcaster. There was an internal investigation and it was found, in fact, they had done that. The broadcaster then pulled the documentary from their website Mm. and, uh, you know, published the the findings of their inquiry. However, scientists then tracked whether or not there had been any effect on statin uptake and found that there had been 500,000 fewer prescriptions for statins in the eight months following the airing of that one documentary. They think that 60,000 people either quit or reduced their dose of statins as a result of seeing that documentary. And they think that there were many thousands of extra heart attacks as a result. So this stuff matters. It has a real life implication on people's absolutely well-being. Absolutely. And, and there's also a phenomenon called the nocebo effect, which is if you believe that a certain side effect is going to happen, then it it's more likely that it will. That's exactly what you've just said, isn't yeah. it? That you watch this and you start searching yourself and checking and thinking, am I suffering side effects? Mm. And is this a side effect? Is that a side effect? Mm. You felt the nocebo effect. Yeah. I guess so. There's been a couple of studies from New Zealand about this. Many years ago, uh, there were a couple of big 
popular, I think it was news articles, online news articles about an antidepressant called venlafaxine, which had just been changed in New Zealand to a generic version. So it was the same drug, but a different version. And there were a couple of very well-read stories talking about how people were finding that they were less effective and they caused more side effects, specifically suicidal thoughts. And researchers tracked and found that the number of complaints about this specific type of antidepressant being ineffective or causing side effects. So re- reports of, of side effects, yeah, complaints, yes. Yeah, of side effects, has yeah. had massively increased in the two months after these articles had been published. Mm. Interesting. Well, before we go any further, let's have a chat to someone else who feels quite critical of the seeming narrative that's being painted in some sections of the media at the moment about antidepressants. Yes, on the line now is Professor Alan Young, who is the head of academic psychiatry at King's College London. Professor Young, thank you so much for joining us today. When we spoke um, earlier in the week about this topic, you mentioned that you had actually been interviewed for one of the BBC's documentaries on antidepressants, but they chose not to use your contribution. Do you have an idea about why you think that might be? Well, thanks for asking me to speak to you today, Eve. It's always nice to chat to you. Uh, Well, I guess it might have been because I was very boring. Um, (laughs) Or... um, (laughs) I mean, I I tried in the course of the prolonged interview to give what was my view of a balance of the evidence about the benefits and harms of antidepressants. And I guess maybe they just didn't find that useful as content for the show. Mm. Uh, could, could I just ask, how did they approach you? What did they what did the the producers say? And, you know, why why did they ask you to take part in the first place? Well, I mean, they they approached me by email and they asked me to take part to, obviously I work in this area, I'm Professor of Mood Disorders at King's College London, so I've spent the last 30 years thinking about things like antidepressants and the risks and benefits. And they asked if I would be willing to be interviewed. Now, myself and many other doctors are very suspicious of Panorama because they've got a bit of a bad reputation in the medical profession for perhaps not presenting things in the what we would think of as the most correct manner. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought it was important to engage with them. We've actually got a, a recording of the interview with them. My recollection, it went on for about 45 minutes to an hour. And they said they wanted to get uh, a diversity of views about antidepressants. And and then I got a very nice email from them a couple of days or perhaps even the day before the programme was due to be aired to say that, unfortunately, they were not going to use any of the material that we that we recorded together. Mm. That's a shame. I don't know if you've seen the resulting Panorama documentary, but do you feel that there's perhaps a sort of prevailing narrative? I think there is a bit of a prevailing narrative that antidepressants are a bad thing. And I think this is very unhelpful because antidepressants are a treatment class which treat depression and anxiety. They've been around for a long time. We know a lot about the benefits and harms. Generally, for most people, when prescribed correctly, they're very helpful. 
But I think the narrative that often seems to come across to me of antidepressants being unnecessary and perhaps uh, overemphasizing uh, some of the potential problems. So I think the potential problems are often overemphasized. I think when you're looking at any issue like this, you should take it in the round. And of course, it's not the case that there are no problems with antidepressants, but these should be considered against the, uh, the benefits. So what really disturbs me from uh, my experience with patients and indeed uh, friends and relatives who are on antidepressants when the negative publicity comes out even if they responded to the antidepressants and need to stay on them they ask me does this mean that you know these these drugs are no good or are harmful which goes against their own personal experience so i think there's a duty of care actually with panorama as a bbc program it's publicly funded and I think they have a duty of care to represent these issues in a correct and balanced fashion. I'm just not sure they always do that. Can I just give a, a counter argument to this in that, you know, obviously the clinical trials didn't flag up uh, uh, c- certain things that are now being claimed by large numbers of patients, such as the sexual dysfunction, the SSRI related sexual dysfunction, genital numbness and, and things that just generally aren't necessarily linked to depression itself and uh, other problems such as uh, this suspicion of increase in suicidal thoughts and is there not also a duty of care to highlight those is it not in the public interest if true that patients are made aware of those things that these things are given uh, enough weight and that perhaps in light of these a reassessment of the risk benefit ratio could be made. I think that's what might be argued. Yeah, I think that's a good point. First of all, I'd like to say that the risk benefit ratio for any treatment is never finished being evaluated. So these things go on really as long as treatments are used. And the medical and pharmacy profession and others do pharmacoepidemiological studies to look at benefits and harms. Now, I spend my life treating people with these drugs. So the first thing to say is that some of the side effects overlap with some of the symptoms of illness. So sexual dysfunction is clearly part of depression. But nevertheless, the SSRIs can make that worse. Uh, We have alternative treatments, which are antidepressants, which are not SSRIs. And although they are not without side effects, they don't share that particular side effect uh, that SSRIs do. So that's not emphasized. I mean, very often it's a very sort of crude polemic where there's one set of drugs, which is the SSRIs, and they cause this, and therefore they're bad. The issue of suicidal is suicidal intent and completed suicide is complex and difficult to get across in a soundbite. But the first thing to say is that people have a much increased risk of suicide if they have depression or a severe mood disorder. This, in general, is reduced with treatment and with good long-term treatment. It's markedly reduced, and all the studies show that. Nevertheless, there's a long-standing observation that people with depression in the early stages of treatment, the first few weeks, may have feelings of suicide which persist, but greater ability to act on those because of a differential effect of the drug on the symptoms. Therefore, in the guidelines such as our BAP guidelines, we do stress monitoring is required early in treatment, and we say things like two to four weeks, to check up on this. And I think this is a key point, and this is good practice.
Something else that I think is interesting about antidepressants, and, and, and this isn't necessarily a criticism or a critique or, of the documentaries, is that there is a strong placebo effect that we see with antidepressants. One thing that you've mentioned is that as a clinician, you see the benefits. I mean, do you ever wonder, you know, how much of the benefit you see in your patients is a placebo effect, given that we know from the clinical trials there is a placebo effect? Of course, there's a placebo effect, and placebo is very important. It's got essentially two components. There's the actual placebo effect, which occurs not just in depression, but in other conditions like pain, even quite severe pain. There's also spontaneous remission and regression towards the mean. Now, in clinical practice, I think placebo effect is fine because it's still a benefit to the patient. Uh, it's more an issue for research, but I think placebo is a very important thing. And, you know, one of my colleagues years ago wrote a paper called The Placebo Effect in Depression, a boon to therapy, but bane of research. So whatever gets my patients well, I'm happy with. I mean, it would seem to me that these conversations are nuanced and they're complicated, uh, but you know, that there is this group of uh, scientists who have a very, very different view. I'm aware of that to you. Is it not important that their views are heard? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think a diversity of views and the ability and freedom to ask tough questions uh, is absolutely key to science. But another important facet of science is that you base things on data, not just your particular opinion. And I think when you're looking into a complex area like depression, you should be looking at evidence in the round and not emphasizing one particular bit. Science, like life, rarely comes down to one simple black or white answer. Uh, and that's why uh, some of the polemics, I mean, you use the word narrative, but I'd say polemics really against antidepressants are actually very unhelpful because they don't follow these principles, but you're absolutely right. I wouldn't want someone to say to me, oh, you know, I disagree with your views, therefore you're not allowed to articulate them or or investigate them. That's absolutely fine. But then my views are opinion until they're backed up by uh, evidence which has been uh, achieved with um, reasonable scientific uh, methodology. And I think we should be listening to our patients uh, about their experiences. And I think lots of these things are valid. So, for example, some of our side effects, like the famous cheese reaction with the old monoamine oxidase inhibitors, were reported in my hospital first by patients, and the doctors actually took a long time to... Uh, what was the uh, cheese what, 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 what's the cheese reaction? We don't know what you're talking about. What's the, what is oh, the cheese reaction? You don't know about the cheese reaction? No. no. Well, the, the monoamine oxidase inhibitors that came in in the 50s and were first antidepressants block the metabolism of um, an enzyme in the brain called monoamine oxidase. And this increases the level of neurotransmitters like serotonin and noradrenaline. And they were used right, they're still used today, we still use them, but because of uh, a reaction when you take certain dietary foodstuffs like cheese, uh, also bean pods, Chianti and so on, uh, you get too much of the precursor and you can have a hypertensive crisis. Oh, now, in the Maudsley Hospital in the early 60s, uh, one of the my predecessors was seeing a patient whose husband was a pharmacist 
And he said every time she eats cheese, she flushes and her blood pressure goes up. And this was dismissed a few times, but fortunately the patient and the pharmacist uh, kept on. And eventually the doctor uh, wrote up the cheese reaction, which is now something that's in, on every patient information leaflet. I'm not sure if he gave the husband enough credit or indeed the patient. So that's an example of how you can be slow about these things. But nevertheless, drugs, uh, medicines are evaluated very rigorously, not only to get a license, but also post-licensing. And places like the Drug Safety Research Unit in Southampton, of which I'm a trustee, their business is to do pharmacoepidemiological studies that continue to evaluate the safety of drugs, not just antidepressants, but things like vaccines and heart drugs and cancer drugs in practice. So it's quite a well established and really in my view quite rigorous methodology for this and you should bear that in mind and now we don't go on social media about this but of course this is a much more established and perhaps comprehensive and representative view of the experience of people with these medicines. Mm. Professor Young, can I just ask you something that's often explored in the conversation about antidepressants and that is how exactly they work. There's been a lot of hoo-ha about claims that serotonin in fact has nothing to do with depression and therefore um, the inference is that SSRIs are effectively useless or at least not very effective at all. Um, What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the first thing to recognise is that there's a difference between understanding that something does work and understanding how it works. The antidepressants were discovered by chance, by serendipity and clinical observation. We've spent the last 60 years trying to work out exactly how they work, but there's no doubt that serotonin is a very important modulatory influence for the emotions. I mean, if we look at some of the latest groundbreaking research, which is psychedelics, psychedelic drugs being used with psychotherapy for the treatment of treatment-resistant depression, which we published on, psychedelics are drugs which act via brain serotonin. So again, I think it's a very really crude overgeneralization just to say there's there's no role of serotonin. Can I just ask you before we go, the, the post-SSRI sexual dysfunction, which is it's not fully understood, is it? And certainly one of the things that Professor Joanna Moncrief says is a defining characteristic of this is the genital numbness, the anesthesia, the lack of any sensation in the genitals that patients feel and this can persist for a long time after the SSRI is stopped and that this is a distinct problem and likely to be caused by the medicine not by depression. Is that something that you recognise? I certainly recognise SSRIs cause sexual dysfunction and when you change the medicines, uh, the sexual dysfunction, I mean, sexual dysfunction is quite a complex phenomenon in and of itself. There's, you, you mentioned genital numbness, but there's also problems with orgasm, there's problems with libido. Some of these are undoubtedly contributed to by the depression, but nevertheless, the serotonergic drugs, the particular ones we're talking about, the SSRIs, uh, can have an effect through serotonin that makes these things worse. My experience in the clinic of treating this is uh, I haven't seen many patients who uh, have this persisting after the SSRIs are discontinued, but nevertheless, I think there should be uh, you know more research in this particular area. 
But as I say, Joanna may have seen many more patients with this than I do. I, I do specialise in mood disorders and have done for 30 years, and I've seen very few patients with this. But that's not to deny that some patients do experience this and find it very distressing. Well, I mean, I think anyone listening to this will, will agree this is a tricky conversation. It's one that can be had in a balanced way. So thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. Okay, and thanks. Eve, are you watching Painkiller? I am. What do you think? I think it's fascinating and terrifying. I mean, I knew the story, but obviously being basic... <laughs> when I see a drama about it, it really rams it home. Yeah. It's very moving at the beginning. They they have a parent someone or a relative, who's personally affected, someone who's yeah. personally affected, saying, you know, this is, you know, fictionalised, but what's not fiction is what happened to my son, my husband. I mean, heart, heartbreaking. I think it's really important to bear in mind, though, when you're watching it, that it's not wholly relevant to a UK audience. And it makes me feel so grateful that we have the NHS and mm. the you know, nice controlling what we absolutely. what we get and these these groups of experts who assess the cost effectiveness of things and, and unfortunately under private medical care systems West. you're going to end up with a lot more to write about <laughs> yeah no i i think that is that is a really good point but you know, I mean, how many Americans are on antidepressants? I'm going to get my tinfoil hat on now. Okay. And, you know, the big mistake I think that Purdue made uh, was that they chose something that was practically lethal if you took it. <laughs> and, you know, really, I mean, it's a bit like we have this conversation about viruses. You know, you don't really have to worry too much about Ebola because it kills everyone. Mm. Uh, so it's never going to spread that much. However, you know, something like COVID was so much more devastating because its effect was rel relatively mild on most people. But there was this subset of vulnerable mm. patients who it killed. Mm. And I suppose you could translate that to a medicine. If, if you were a, a cynical drug company looking to make oodles of cash, don't use heroin in your medication. Use something that you find, a substance that's been around for a while that you find. And, you know, it has a, a great big placebo effect. It has a low side effect level in the clinical trials. Most patients say they they feel better. It might or might not work. And uh, make that your thing that you push out. And, and you know, uh, Prozac and, and all of these these drugs were massively marketed, weren't they? You know, yeah, again, and I know mistakes. that's what Professor Moncrief says. Yeah. She says, follow the money. I think that's true. But I think that, you know, before um, SSRIs, there were literally, you know, the, the medication for mental health problems could kill you and you could very, very easily become addicted to. And there were a ho host of problems with the old medications. And so I think that, you know, it's a good idea to focus on the positive things that now we have something that, OK, so there are some trials that show that there's a there's a strong placebo effect. But there's also really good trials that show that there's a really strong effect from the drug. <laughs> and something is better than nothing. Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting thing. On an individual level, you're right, aren't you? But then on a population level, you're looking at something else. You've got a landscape where treatments are pretty crap. They're mm. pretty harmful. That there, there aren't many options for patients. Something comes along that has few harms and a modest effect mm. on a very small minority. 
a big placebo effect. So you've got the perfect thing to roll out to your population who who really don't have anything else. Mm. And you're saying that's a good thing because you're giving people something, even if it's a placebo effect. And that's what Professor Young said, even if mm. there's a placebo effect, at least that's real, at least it's something. However, on a population level, you have to start to think about collateral damage. Mm. And is the collateral damage of these minority patients, is the collateral damage of long-lasting sexual dysfunction, of increased risk of suicide, perhaps, um, and other things, is that worth it? I would say that it's not as simple to say that those risks are very clear-cut. For one, the sexual side effects that supposedly exist after a patient comes off SSRIs, the data about it is very cloudy. We don't know what, how much of it is caused by the depression itself and how much of it is caused by the medication. I'm not saying that these patients you know, are making up their symptoms, of course not, but you know, it's not as clear cut as this is a fact that this happens, the trials haven't borne it out. With the risk of suicide, it has been noted that there there can be an increased risk of suicide in under 25s. However, there's important things to consider here in that A, when somebody is prescribed an antidepressant and they're younger, they do tend to be very ill. And so some researchers say that it's very difficult to understand whether it's because of the antidepressants or, as Professor Young was saying, this phenomenon of of, of it's actually the depression itself that's causing this extreme violent kind of self-sabotage behavior perhaps some of it is coupled by the chemical that makes you be able to get out of bed and do things um, and be more impulsive but we don't know that that's true and suicide whether it's related to antidepressants or not related to antidepressants is incredibly rare and I think that you know, for the amount of people that suffer from mental health problems, which is only going to increase and is mm. ever increasing, I think, you know, you really have to look at the numbers and think it's a real risk and it's something we should take very seriously. But it doesn't mean that we should poo-poo something that can be helpful for millions and millions of people. And I suppose the big difference, just to shoot down my own um, argument, the big difference here is there's been many, many clinical trials and there's been meta-analyses of those clinical trials. Overall, the NHS and NICE looks at the evidence, the totality of the evidence, and says that the benefits outweigh the risks for the majority of patients. And it is constantly And that's reviewed. not saying there's no risk. Yeah. Another important thing to say, there's a good example of the evidence being reviewed because in 2021, NICE changed the guidance for GPs and said that they have to be aware that withdrawal symptoms may be severe and long lasting mm. and that patients should be tapered off. It should make us feel secure that there's constant updates and you know patients are really being um, looked after with the, the most recent evidence. And, and clinicians who do have criticisms uh, should continue to, to air them because, you know, Absolutely. that's an important part of the discourse, isn't it? Absolutely. But I think it's also important to provide patients with the whole picture. And that's, you know, if there's one new study that shows this thing, say, well, there's a whole host of other studies that have showed this thing. And so we see it in context rather than just one piece of research. Well, you can read all about Eve's controversial views on antidepressants that shouldn't be controversial at all 
but will no doubt drive some people wild on social media in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in good old-fashioned newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk and via the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Thank you.